Well, good morning. Welcome to our time of gathered worship as the community of Fellowship Church. It's been another beautiful summer weekend here in West Michigan. Hopefully you've had a chance to be outside a little bit. It's a wonderful season to marvel at God's creation, at the beauty of God's creation, and to worship the Creator. Our God is the source of every good and perfect gift, every beauty, every wonder. God is vast beyond our ability to comprehend. And he knows us intimately and loves us unconditionally. This morning, our call to worship comes from Psalm 139. Hear these words and let's make it our prayer this morning that we would lean into the loving knowledge and guidance of our creator. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you stand and let's sing together, asking God, the fount of every blessing, to tune our hearts to sing his praise. Let's sing together.
Friends, let's join our hearts together in a prayer of thanksgiving and confession. Let's pray. Well, Lord, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are gathered this morning to celebrate the good news of the gospel, which is stated ever so beautifully in Ephesians chapter 2, where it says that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not our own doing. It is the gift of God not the result of works, so that no one can boast. And so we pause this morning, O oh God, to thank you for this magnificent gift of grace, of unearned favor. We recognize that grace goes beyond mercy because mercy is the avoidance of deserved punishment, but grace is more like winning the lottery. It's like getting a hug when you deserve a timeout. Grace gives good and beautiful gifts to those who are completely undeserving of it. Without grace, it's up to us, and we can't do it. But by your grace, O oh God, it's up to you, and you are more than able. So forgive us, please, when we snub our nose at your free gift as if we don't need it. Forgive us, please, when we flush your grace down the toilet as if it's not a treasure. 
Forgive us, please, when we act as if we've earned it, for such a gift can't be earned. The Ephesians text goes, text goes on to announce the gospel when it says that we are your workmanship, O God, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which you have prepared in advance for us to do. And so now we pause to thank you for making each and every one of us special, custom designed for your glory, with unique gifts and passions and circumstances even to be embraced with faith and with faithfulness, and especially at such a time as this and in such a place as here and even now. Thank you, O God, for knitting us together in our mother's womb. Thank you for watching over us like a loving father. Thank you for not making us all the same like robots. Forgive us, please, when we think too little of ourselves as if you made a mistake. Forgive us, please, when we think too much of ourselves as if we are self-made. Forgive us, please, when we squander our gifts acting as if you have no purpose for them. When we begin to lose our way, O oh God, by choice or by accident, because of things that we do or because of things that we leave undone, when we doubt your goodness or doubt our worth or doubt our place in this world or when we put our confidence or our allegiance in something else, remind us, O oh God, of the good news of your good book which says that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not our own doing. It is your gift to us, O oh God, for we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which you have prepared in advance for us to do. So Lord, please, with gratitude and purpose, let that be our guiding light today and always. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new. Now life begins.
because of Jesus's life, his death, and his resurrection, that we always have peace with God and with one another. I invite you to share a sign of that peace with your neighbor. The peace of Christ be with you. Well, good morning, church and friends and guests. The Lord be with you. It's good to gather with you for worship this morning. We're at Fellowship. My name is Ross Dielman, one of the pastors here, of course. And together, it is our mission to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. And those aren't just words for us. We say them every Sunday, but we want it to define our life together and also our life when we go out from this place. We want to be a people who love God and others and live as an accepting community centered in Christ, focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. We're grateful for the many of you who join us in that particular mission. If you're new, we'd love to welcome you. Maybe you're just in town for one week, and we're glad to have you for that. If you've been around a bit and uh, would like to make yourself known to us. We have connection cards available that you could fill out. If you're in-house, you can get them at the Welcome Center just outside the sanctuary, or you can also do so if you're worshiping online with us. You can do that digitally. We'd love to get to know you uh, if you're so willing uh, to do that with us. We're a great community that loves to love one another, and we'd love to welcome you into that. 
Throughout the summer, we've been on a series uh, exploring the New Testament uh, letters, and so we have these postcards available. If you've been out vacationing, which many folks have, and you've maybe missed a few, uh, we're about one third of the way through, and each Sunday's particular postcard is available on your way in. The rest of them are at the Welcome Center out back, and you can certainly collect all of them as we go through, get the postcards. This week is Ephesians, if you haven't noticed yet already. I also would love to invite you to a gathering this coming Wednesday called Grill Out and Chill Out. We're going to do the summer thing and get the grills out and have burgers and dogs and a whole bunch of other fun activities together right here uh, in the parking lot and in the yard. Uh, In your bulletins, there's a way to sign up for that with a QR code, and you can also sign up online or even call the front office. We'd love to know that you're coming so we can make sure we have enough food on hand. So please do sign up and uh, and invite your neighbors or other family members or or anyone else. Uh, It's an open event, and we'd love to have you. Also, stay tuned. Coming to an inbox near you is a videogram coming from your pastors. We sometimes have an end-of-year uh, uh, financial update letter that comes in your mail, but this time it's a video in your uh, inbox. So get ready to live when you check out that. It's going to be great. Okay. Uh, we, we look forward to sharing that with you. And we're grateful for your partnership as a congregation and more uh, in the ministry and mission of Fellowship Church. Hey, you may have noticed, and I'm going to scoot down here for this, that throughout the summer, we've been doing a children's moment together. And uh, uh, we do that partially because we know as pastors, sometimes our sermons are just utterly forgettable, right? And not this week, because Nate is going to hit a dinger for us, and we're going to remember it forever. But sometimes it's, uh, it's quite forgettable. But a children's message has a way of being kind of sticky. So uh, we, we've been doing those throughout the summer a little bit. Today, I want to invite you to do this children's message a little differently. I want to do it all of us together and do it imaginatively, where you as adults and children are invited to take on a childlike mindset for a moment together, okay? So stay where you are, and we'll just do this together. First, you have to repeat after me uh, a Hebrew phrase, Cal Vechomer. Cal Vechomer. You got to get a little phlegm going to say it properly, but that's what the phrase is. And what it means is how much more. It's a line of argument that appears repeatedly in the scriptures that moves from a lesser thing to a greater thing, saying that if this smaller thing is true on a smaller scale, how much more so will it be true on a greater scale? Perhaps the most famous example is of Jesus when he's talking to parents about their children. And he says, if you as parents know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more so? Does God our Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to us? So that's Cal Vechomer, okay? So hold on to that just a second. And now I want to invite you to enter into a little imagination. Picture yourself back in art class when you were in elementary school, okay? You're invited to do some project. Maybe it's a watercolor painting or other drawing. Maybe you've got some clay to sculpt or some paper mache to make a project. I want you to call to mind one of your favorite projects, one that you were really proud to have made, okay? Think about that one if you can, and take a minute to tell the person nearby you about it. What was it? Go.
All right, can I call you back? Thanks for doing that little imaginative journey. True confessions, true confessions for me is that in art class, I often too much enjoyed getting those little clay balls when the teacher wasn't looking and get them to stick to the wall. Uh, but uh, hopefully your project was a little better than that one for me. Also, I think that with our art projects, it seems to be that our art ability stops at the age in which we stop doing art. And then it looks like that even if we're... 40 years old, and uh, it, it looks that way. I want to share with you a couple of my favorite household examples of art projects from my two kids. This one is from my oldest son, Jabin, a few years back, and uh, I love this thing. I have it up in my office continually. I call it an angry elephant dog dinosaur. It's like a little mini pinata. Uh, it's colorful. I just love this little piece of art that, that he made. He also, by the way, said that, hey, Dad, the charge is usually $1 if you mention me in a worship service, but if you're going to do this one, it's 4 bucks. <laughs> so I owe him on this one. Okay. My other one that I want to share is from my son, Davis, and this one's as fresh as this year. He did a self-portrait, and this is this just cool. Uh, he did a little drawing of himself, and it's Salvador Dali style. He's got like an airplane nose and a name tag, and just brilliant piece of art that we actually are going to frame. We just love this one in particular. Hopefully that stirs up some memories of you of your art projects in the past. And now I want to remind you again of Cal Vechomer. If we are able to be ones who create things and we love our designs and those designs have some purpose to serve, whether it's beauty or function in the world, how much more so can our God in heaven do that with us and delight in his creation and have good purposes for that very thing? That's our memory verse this particular week from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where it says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. Thanks be to God that we have one who loves us in such a way and who has given us good purposes for living in the world. And we can relate to it even from our little art projects along the way. Let's continue in worship through singing. And our children, three years through first grade, are dismissed at this time to go to children in worship. As those who are made in God's image, as God's masterpiece, our only comfort in life and in death is that we belong to the Lord. We are not simply our own, but we belong to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's stand and sing together. I am 
God, we ask that you, by the power of your spirit, might uh, illumine your word for us this morning, that we might be reminded of who we are and to whose we belong, that we are not our own, but we belong to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. What do you think makes for a good letter? Is it the proper letter format, like this one up here? Does it communicate something concisely and clearly or beautifully and spiritually? Is it from someone you love or written with love, like a love letter? Does it affirm or does it confront, like a good letter to an upset Amazon customer? (laughs) What makes for a good letter? In our Letters from Home series this summer, we have been making our way through the New Testament epistles, and we've come across some very good letters in various different forms. Last week, as Emily pointed out, Galatians seemed to be uh, Paul's angry voice as he writes to the people of Galatia. And then a couple weeks before that, we, we heard of his letter to the Romans, in which it's this very sound and systematic, thoughtful prose letter that has all of the details of theology that you could ever need. Or maybe it was a couple weeks ago, you remember the call to love uh, from 1 Corinthians or even a personal appeal to Timothy to live a life worthy of the calling for which you've been called. Good letters, great letters even, but these don't compare with the bombshell of a letter that is the book of Ephesians. Truth be told, that's not my words, but neither are these. The crown and climax of Pauline theology, the Switzerland of the New Testament, pound for pound, the most efficient and influential book in the entire Bible. These are just some of the ways that theologians have described Paul's letter to Ephesians. More than any other, this is known to be the most encompassing and concise synopsis of the Christian faith that exists. John Calvin even said it's one of the best letters ever written. Why do you think that is? I wonder if a part of why it's so well-known and loved is because it was generic in nature. Paul didn't have to address a problem that was being faced by the church. He wasn't addressing some reacting to some theological misstep or some misguided leader. There are plenty of those. But this was a letter of encouragement to people who knew themselves as children of God, who knew themselves as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's intended to be read in worship, as an act of worship, you might say. 
for the sake of the people of God. And so this morning, we're going to read from the letter to the Ephesians from a part of the, the, the letter that is a, really a doxology, a song of sorts of praise to, who God, to God for who God is. It's probably more worshipful than theological, but we'll say that it's rich in both. So listen for the word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, so to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed upon on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through blood, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he has so freely lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance towards the redemption, our redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Even today, as we read these verses, the words seem to jump off the page like a good song. They almost have a rhythm to them. There was one giant run-on sentence. Praise, praise to God the Father for making us. Praise, praise, praise to Christ the Son for redeeming us and the Holy Spirit for making that known to us, the seal of our inheritance. Paul wrote in such a way that when we read it, it's almost as if Paul is in the room with us, reading, praising, pray, praying alongside of us. Unlike some Taylor Swift song that brings praise to the author, this song is intended to bring praise to the subject of the song. It's a testimony to God's work in this world, God's work in you and in me. God blessed us. God has chosen us. God has redeemed us and lavished grace upon us, has destined us. God has made known the mystery of his gospel to us and has sealed us with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's clear that God is the subject of every verb and all of the verbs. What you might not notice in the English is that they're all in the Greek perfect past tense, meaning that they've already been done. God did it. It is completed. It has been accomplished. It is over and we should praise God for it. We are God's own marked as his children forever. Paul can't seem to praise and sing enough of, to God for all that he has done in his life. His joy is bursting from the seams, like an ice cream cone from Captain Sunday that cannot be contained by a cone on a hot day. It is just dripping all over the child's hands, like a middle-aged belly that can't be hidden by a swimsuit anymore, like an over-ripened tomato that splits open because it is so ripe. Paul can't praise God enough for what he's done in him and for him, which is kind of shocking, really, if you think about it, because the place that Paul wrote this letter was actually in prison for professing the name of Jesus. 
For Paul, his present circumstances don't dictate his relationship with God, his identity as as being God's child. He is marked as his own, no matter what happens in his life. Who are you? What are you here for, anyway? These are the primary questions that the whole letter of Ephesians is trying to answer. And fundamental to those questions is Paul's understanding of what it means to be in Christ. I'm still getting used to Pastor Tierra on occasion referring to me as Reverend Skipper from up here. I don't know. It's not, nothing about her. She says it with the perfect combination of respect and playfulness. And uh, I wish I could tease her, but she's on vacation, a much-deserved trip out to the national parks. But it's the title that I'm getting used to. And for multiple reasons, probably, but primarily because it's not the first title that I've ever been given. I was given a title at a very young age. No, I wasn't Doogie Howser. I didn't get a DR. I probably never will have a DR in front of my name. It was a title that my grandmother actually gave to me. And and it's been said every single time by her nearly when she calls my name. It was the title Tim Tom. Tim Tom Nate, pass the ketchup. Tim Tom Nate, why why don't you... uh, Get over here. You're you're meandering a little bit too far off. Tim, Tom, Nate, go get your grandpa for me. I can't seem to find him. Of course, Tim Tom is not an actual title. It's the name of my father and my uncle, the two names, the boys in her family when she was growing up that she shouted out for decades as she raised them. Tim, oh, I mean Tom, I mean Nate, Tim, I mean Tom, I mean Nate. It was a rehearsed every single time my name was called. Maybe some of you can relate to being on one end of the spectrum there. Well, Paul's song of praise is profuse with describing God's activity in this world, but it also references a title that we have all been given in light of what God has done for us. It's repeated nine times in this short little passage, this short song of praise, and 36 times in the book of Ephesians 164 times in all of Paul's letter. It's the title or the phrase, in Christ. Sometimes said a little bit differently, of course, all referring to the same thing. In him, in the one, in the king, in whom. For all those who have responded to God's invitation to believe have been found in Christ. It's our title. And it's actually, in many ways, the foundation of Paul's theology. But what do we mean when we say that we are found in Christ? It means a whole host of things. There's a whole number of books written about being in Christ or unity with Christ. But I want to think about two things that kind of seem like they're on opposite ends of the spectrum this morning. And I want to use our two hands to help us remember that. What do you notice when you look at your hands? Maybe you see a watch, a bracelet, a ring, a tattoo, or some scars. I find it interesting that we often put things on our hands that we don't want to forget, things that we want to remember or we want to be able to easily call to mind. I know some of us have a bracelet that says Emerson the Brave as a reminder to pray for our dear little Emmy Hugendorn, who's in our prayer concerns this week as she battles cancer yet again as, yet, as only a fifth, and sixth, uh, fifth grader that's turning into a sixth grader. Our hands are where we put things to remember and I want us to look at our hands to remember that we, have been, we are in Christ. On the one hand, it's an invitation to consider who we are, or maybe better said, whose we are. 
as you look at your hand, I know that all of us, whether we have any jewelry on it or not, will have some cracks and indentations in our hands. They're all included in the bound of our hand. They move with our hand. They wouldn't be there if our hand wasn't there. They don't exist unless our hand exists. Our cracks and indentations on our hands are dependent on our hand being there. It's a good reminder that our cracks and indentations are, are, are in our hand. And it's a good reminder for us that we have been placed in Christ, located in the realm of Christ, found in him, marked as him, dependent on him. And in a way, our identity, who we are as people, has somewhat been lost or encompassed at the bare minimum by Christ and Christ's work in this world. God the Father no longer sees us as our own, but sees us in unity with Jesus as being marked as Christ's own. Sometimes when we talk about Christ in us, uh, we, we talk about Christ being inside of us instead of us being found in Christ. We invite Jesus into our hearts, let's just say, we might say. And for good reason we say that, because there are some passages, and we do understand that by the power of the Spirit, Christ does lead us and guide us uh, through our hearts. But that is a handful of times. 30 times more likely in the New Testament are we said to be in Christ rather than Christ in us, which is much more mind-boggling, isn't it? To be found in Christ, to be in Christ, the one who existed before time and will exist forever and into eternity, who stretches across all time and space. We have been wrapped up in him? I mean, that's preposterous. Or to, to think about Jesus simply only being inside of us, inside of our hearts, as one commentator would say, would be to reduce Jesus to only being one inch tall. Instead, we are in Christ and our identity becomes small, minute even. In a way, it's super, super humbling to think about us being in the cosmic Christ. But it's also a grace, isn't it, to be included in Christ? We're invited in despite what we have done or what we've left undone, despite what's happened to us or maybe what has happened because of us. We are included and we're seen as Christ's own, not seen in the eyes of the broken, image-distorted culture we live in. We're, we're measured and deemed worthy because of what Jesus done, not deemed worthy by the values of our capitalistic economy that we're a part of. We are known, seen, and measured by our unity with Jesus Christ. And in this way, Jesus becomes kind of a safe house for us, doesn't he? I like this quote by Scott Jose that says that Christ Jesus has become more than just a person. He has almost become a kind of cosmic place, a spiritual location such that if you are in Christ, if you exist within the sphere of his influence, you're all set. Christ has become a type of cosmic safe house in which your sins are put away and you have been lavished with a redemption that no one can steal. When we find ourselves wrapped in Christ, wrapped up in Christ, marked by him and his forever, our identity in a way gets lost, doesn't it? We get, begin to find joy in participating in his way of life. It makes me think of Jolene Maliga Bunko. Have you heard about her? 
She is the shot putter this past week that actually ran the 100-meter hurdles for her team in the world championship track meet. She, after two of her teammates uh, got injured that ran hurdles, she volunteered to run the hurdles, even though she never runs the hurdles. The, the video is kind of almost comical. She is so far behind. She like trots up to the hurdle, steps over it, and then trots to the next one. It took her 39 seconds to complete the race, a full three times longer than the average 100-meter meter, uh, racer, hurdle racer. And she finished dead last in the meet. And yet her team got, I think, two little points that might help them someday, sometime, uh, to, to be a little bit better of a, a track team. Some say that Jolene's identity is in her uniquely awesome ability to throw a shot put, which she can do amazingly well as she's the seventh best shot putter in the world. But what I noticed in her this past week was in a willingness to do whatever it takes for the sake of her team even embarrass herself by running three times slower than everyone else, all with a smile on her face. Her primary identity was not in her event or her unique capacity, but in being a member of Team Belgium and her willingness to do whatever it took. What would it look like for you or for me to find ourselves so enmeshed in, with Christ, so in him that we'd be willing to do whatever it took for his team? for his purposes in this world. On the one hand, we remember that our identity has almost been lost in Christ and that we are his and marked as his forever. On the other hand, we notice and remember that the same wrinkles in our palms, the same marks on our hands are completely unique to every other human being in this world. In fact, the same intricate wrinkles that are on your fingertip distinguish us from every single person in this world. They are our defining feature, at least according to the law enforcement agencies, that is. They are what make us who we are to them. To be in Christ means that we have been uniquely made and given a purpose in this world. Our uniqueness, yes, is found in best found in community with others when all together we form the body of Christ in this world. Or as Paul would say, that we have been chosen, we have been given a purpose, and we have been promised the Holy Spirit to help us that. We are Christ's workmanship, as Pastor Ross pointed out just a minute ago, created in Christ before time to do good work for the sake of his glory. It, it seems like this is a really good reason, a purpose, the why behind Paul's talking about us being chosen, to being elect, chosen before uh, before, for, for, by God from before time. Election can be kind of a tricky subject. Uh, it's easy to kind of get caught up in who's chosen and who's not chosen and the implications of some being chosen and some not being chosen, especially by a God who says that he loves everyone and, and even sent his son to the sake for the whole world. Election and predestination, as we like to call it in our tradition, can easily be misunderstood to having God be some kind of cosmic finger pointer who points, oh, I choose you, I don't choose you. I choose you, I don't choose you. Kind of like Jonathan, my buddy Jonathan Coop did on the school uh, playground in Lakeview School in 1990. You know, the kid that you all have experienced who with the point of his finger determines who's gonna play for Team Michigan and who's gonna play for Team Michigan State. Michigan, Michigan State, and then we battle it out on the football field. I'll let you choose who's the chosen in that analogy. 
But in many ways, this becomes the essence of our most basic understanding of election. But what if election, like it serves in Paul's song in, of praise in Ephesians 1, is a way to ser- serves as a way to pr- for us to praise God for choosing us, the role God played in capturing our hearts, a way to protect us from praising ourselves for picking the right team, but to give God praise in the rearview mirror for what he's already done for us. These were all in the past tense. And, and what if, and what if election points to not only the gift of being chosen, but equally so to the responsibility of being found in Christ? What if being in Christ is both a gift and a responsibility? Klein Snodgrass, a great New Testament commentator, in his concluding bit on election said it this way, most of our debates about election, they can be set aside if we simply focus on God valuing and choosing us, then we can realize the responsibility that election brings. Which is to say, when we focus on the, uh, on the fact that God has chosen you, God values you, God loves you, God sees you and believes in you despite all of your inadequacies, your shame, the hurt, the pain that you've done and that has happened to you, and that he believes that you still have a unique gift to this world, a responsibility to be a part of his team, that you too can contribute? That's the purpose of election. On the one hand, we remember that our identity has been wrapped up and lost in Jesus Christ and his work in this world. And on the other hand, we remember that we have been uniquely made in Christ and given a responsibility to use that gift in the, for his purposes in this world. It reminds me of the story of a rabbi, Akiva. Legend has it that he was a first century rabbi who lived right after the time of Jesus up in a little town of Capernaum. One day he was meandering through Galilee as he was uh, memorizing scripture, Isaiah 43. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And then my servant whom I have chosen, he was re- rehearsing. And as the sun was setting in the west, he, he, the, between the sun kind of setting in his eyes and him rehearsing the scripture, he missed the turn, the gate to his hometown of Capernaum, and he kept on heading west. All of a sudden, he heard a voice coming from above. Who are you? What are you doing here? before he could even say, huh, it happened again. Who are you? What are you doing here? It was the voice of a Roman guardsman shouting from the top of a lookout tower as uh, uh, Rabbi Akiva was approaching the gate of a Roman colony. The rabbi paused and gathered his thoughts for a moment and realized where he was and what had happened. And then he shouted back to the Roman guard a peculiar question. He said, how much do you get paid to ask these questions? The Roman guard was equally as surprised, stunned to silence for a moment. Then all of a sudden he thought about it and he was like, actually, uh, two drachma a week, which is basically a daily, uh, average daily worker's wage. So Rabbi Akiva shouted back to him, I'll pay you double if you come and sit outside my house and ask me those questions every single day. 
The letter, of, to, the letter of Ephesians invites us to ponder, who are you? What are you doing here? On the one hand, our wrinkles remind us that we're in Christ and our identity has been lost in him. On the other hand, we remember that God has uniquely made us and gifted us and wired us for his purposes in this world, and that comes with a great responsibility. Maybe that's what makes for a great letter, one that begs us to wonder, who are you? What are you here for? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, we have sung together, we have prayed together, we have passed the peace, we have heard God's word preached. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning about what it means to be in Christ? Let's stand together and sing In Christ Alone. Street. 
As you consider this week what it means for you to be in Christ, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. And all God's people said, go in peace.